Welcome to the Westside Gathering Podcast, and thanks for making the time to learn and grow with us. Here, you'll find teaching from our live Sunday gatherings. After the message, we'll say a little more about our church and how you can connect. But for now, let's jump right in. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, it's, it's always fun to say at the beginning when you're traveling somewhere and visiting someplace, it's good to see you all. Um, I cannot honestly say that, unfortunately, this morning, but it is really good to be in Montreal. Uh, I have had a couple of trips to Montreal, unfortunately canceled or delayed in the last couple of years. Um, it is one of my favorite cities on earth, one of my favorite places on earth. The West Island, I have just some really dear friends that I get to come and be with. And so I'm so thankful that I get to be here uh, and be here at Westside, which I have, I've, I've counted up, I think I've been here four times. And I was uh, at Westside the first time back before you had this building, back in the school. And I remember preaching there on a very, very thin stage. And it felt like I was going to fall off at any moment. And, I, and sometimes when I preach, I get kind of really a lot of, pretty energetic. And so I was a bit concerned about it at that moment. But that would have been good theater if I had fallen off. I don't think I will today. Uh, I'm, I'm really happy to, to speak on this particular topic that I'm looking at today as well. And I do bring you greetings from 24-7 Prayer Canada, where I have been involved for the last uh, 20 years um, in various leadership capacities. Right now, I'm taking care of communities uh, for 24-7 Prayer Canada, and that's a national ministry, and 24-7 Prayer is an international ministry, and that really matters. We're trying to help the church come together in prayer. That's really, really important. But I'm also part of local ministry where I am in Vancouver in the downtown east side, as David had said. Lived there with my family for the last 18 years in a big community home of 13 people, and a cat, and a dog, and a turtle and a couple goldfish and several mice that we are currently trying to evict. Um, and, uh, and, and we've been living there for a long time. And just a couple blocks from my house is a place called Jacob's Well. It's the local ministry that I'm involved in. And uh, Jacob's Well is it's kind of hard to describe. People say, well, is it, a, is it a feeding ministry? I'm like, well, we eat, but it's not a feeding ministry. And is it a shelter? And I said, well, it's not a shelter. We, we have people come in out of the cold and so on, but it's not a shelter. It's not a church. It is a faith community, and we call it a community living room, and sometimes a community kitchen and a community dining room. We have games nights, but we also have prayer rooms, and we have uh, worship nights, and we have Bible study, and, and we, we just try to live life with people in our community. And so that's what I'm involved with in the day-to-day in my neighborhood. And I want to talk to you about Jacob's Well today. There's a picture on the, um, on the screen right now of my friend uh, John. Uh, I think it's on the screen. He's, it's the last, there we are. Um, this is the, what, the last worship service that we had before the first shutdown in the pandemic. And uh, we had a lot of people around. We had, obviously, a dog there. We had uh, people dancing, people beating drums. And John, right in the middle, in his uh, wheelchair, dancing around. And he genuinely did dance around. His nickname was Twinkle Toes. And uh, uh, John just passed away uh, about a month and a half ago. And we did his funeral, several funerals, in fact, because he had many friends. He was a real beating heart of our community. Uh, and and that's, that's where I kind of try and figure out a lot of my personal theology and life lived in the kingdom. And we have come up with three invitations 
that we think are really important when we try to explain to people um, what Jacob's well is about, but really also what, what the, the Christian journey is about. We describe it using three invitations. And I want to go through that with you today, um, and specifically using scripture from John 4 to talk about these invitations. And I'll share what the invitations are uh, at the beginning here. The first invitation is to become a friend of God. Uh, and, and it's God actually invites us to his table. That we're invited to become God's friend as he invites us to his table. That's the number one, the primary invitation, the most important invitation. And if we don't get that right, if we don't grasp that, then we, the others won't make any sense. And I think sometimes we get those things wrong. I think sometimes um, in our desire to love, we actually forget that the, the first and most important thing is that we've been invited by God to his table. And God is the one who sets the table, and he brings us in. We don't set it. God sets it. That's the first invitation. The second invitation is that we invite and are invited by one another to the common table. And that's quite important the way I put that there. We invite people to the table, but we're also invited to the table. And David mentioned that. When I talk about my neighborhood... It's very easy to talk about going and serving in the neighborhood and doing mission in my neighborhood because it's a poor neighborhood. But um, that's only one part of the puzzle and, and actually not probably the most important part. It's learning to receive the invitation of others to their table, to the common table. So we're invited to become friends with our neighbors. We first become friends with God, then we're invited to become friends with our neighbors, actual friends with our neighbors. Now the third one is a bit of a tricky one. And I'm going to explain what these terms mean uh, a little bit later on. But just kind of try and deal with this right now. That there are some things that are not invited to the table. And they can't be invited to the table. And so we're actually invited to unfriend the world. We are invited, I mean, that's Facebook terms, unfriend. You know, we don't, it's not always the nicest thing to say. But, but I'll, I'll describe what I mean by that a little bit later. But we're invited to unfriend the world. And there are some things that are disinvited to the table. And that's very important for us to grasp. So we're going to talk about that. But first I want to read out John 4. And as I read out this scripture, and it's a long scripture, and I think I'm not apologizing for that. I think we should read whole stories if we can. Uh, I want you to hold those invitations in mind and see where you notice areas where God is inviting someone to his table, areas where uh, neighbors are inviting each other to the table, and if there's anything that is being disinvited to the table. This is John 4, 1 to 42. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard Jesus is making and baptizing more disciples than John although it was not Jesus himself, but his disciples who baptized. He left Judea and started back to Galilee. I just want to stop there just for a moment and and point out, I'm not going to spend a great deal of time on this, but point out that this story, as many of the stories of Jesus, begins in conflict and controversy and offense. And I know that none of us in our current lives know anything about those things. Conflict and controversy and offense. People getting offended at things that we do or say or that we're us getting offended at other people or conflict or, or things going, well, I don't agree with that. I'm going to split over that. I know none of us have any experience in that, but Jesus had a lot of experience in that, particularly with religious folks, okay? So it starts in controversy. The Pharisees are offended and they're annoyed. So he leaves Judea and started back to Galilee, 
But he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us the well, and with his sons and flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. Just then, his disciples came. They were astonished that he was speaking with a woman. But no one said, what do you want? Or why are you speaking with her? Then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. She said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I've ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? They left the city and were on their way to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, surely no one has brought him something to eat. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to complete his work. Do you not say four months more than the harvest? But I tell you, look around you and see how the fields are ripe for harvesting. The reaper is already receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. 
He told me everything I've ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. The word of the Lord. I love this story, and I I talk about it a lot, because there's so much in there, and we're not going to plumb the depths of it, unfortunately, in any kind of fullness today. But I want to make a couple points and draw a couple things out, and hopefully, even as I was reading, you will have noticed some of these invitations. There's a number of invitations in this story. But I want us to notice that the first invitation comes from God. And we're probably all, you know, as, as believers, if you've if you're, if you're been following the Christian story for any amount of time, you will have heard that, that God came to earth in human flesh in Jesus, that, that God made this step towards humanity. That's, Jesus is God wrapped in human flesh. And this is absolutely uh, God's approach and in his pursuit of humanity. And that's true. But I want us to notice in this particular story, after Jesus has his conflict in Judea, and it says he has to go, he's going to Galilee, it says that he had to go through Samaria. And that's a, there's a Greek word there, dei. He had to go. And it shows up a number of times. He had to. He was compelled to go to Samaria. And, and the, the truth is that he kind of wasn't. In terms of geography, in terms of geography, the quickest way, in terms of how far it was to walk between Judea and Galilee, was through Samaria. That's true. But, but socially and spiritually and ritually, it actually was a very long way for a Jewish rabbi to go through Samaria. Good Jewish rabbis, good um, observant Jewish people even, would not take, step foot into the territory of Samaria because it was unclean. So if you walked into Samaria and spent any amount of time there and were then wanting to go and worship in any way, um, you would actually, when you got to your destination, you would be unclean because you had walked through an unclean area and you had probably eaten unclean food. So you were ritually unclean. And that meant that you would have to quarantine wherever you went for a period of time before you could go and worship. And I know none of us know about any of that stuff. But this was, you know, you would be attached to the uncleanliness of Samaria. So the notion that Jesus had to go to Samaria is is actually an indication to us about what God is about. That God is, just in the fact that Jesus had to go there, he's making an invitation. That Jesus is walking into a place that he really had no business going to. And he does this all the time. Jesus is constantly doing this. He's making journeys to places to have a divine appointment with someone who is completely unlikely. Someone that it would make no sense. Like if he had a daytimer and someone like Peter looked at his daytimer and said, Jesus, why do you have this in your daytimer? This is not a good person. This is not a strategic person to go and meet at this stage. But Jesus is like, no, this is where we're going. And he goes and it says, it's the middle of the day and he sits down by the well because he was tired. I love the moments when it talks about how Jesus was hungry or tired or sad because it really indicates that he was fully human. And this woman comes along 
in the heat of the day, and, and if you've, again, been involved in any of this Christianity stuff for any length of time, you'll have probably heard that the middle of the day is not a good time to go and collect water. It's very hot. It's not something that you do alone. It's a communal activity. It suggests that this woman was actually not uh, completely welcome in her village. And we get an indication of why later on when Jesus says, yeah, you've had five husbands. Um, You know, there's an indication of there's some scandal there. And so Jesus actually invites this unclean Samaritan woman who is also probably in some form or other rejected by her own village into a conversation. And this conversation is scandalous. This is an invitation that Jesus is making. And I was sharing this story a little while ago with a group of our people. And there's a a wonderful lady who's involved in Jacob's Well now. And I first met her. She's a, 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 she was a refugee from Syria with her daughter. She's come to Vancouver and she was running an Arabic conversational class. And I was really interested in that. So came and started learning Arabic with her. And she's a Muslim from a Muslim background. And, but just everybody in the class happened to be Christians wanting to learn Arabic. And so she started to get involved in a lot of our, our homes and our ministries and the stuff that we were doing. And uh, so she came to this teaching that we were doing on John 4 that I was doing. And I said, now, what is scandalous about this conversation? And I think all of us from the West could go, oh, yeah, Jesus probably shouldn't be talking to a woman. He's breaking the Billy Graham rule, whatever. And, um, but she went, oh, like, she, she, she almost reacted viscerally. Like, she's like, yeah, I would never do that. If I did that back home, if I went out and someone saw me, talking to a man alone by the well, a Jewish man alone by the well, everyone in town would be talking. Like she was, she knew this story from the inside. She knew what this woman would have probably been feeling. And, but then the next thing she said is there must have been something about Jesus that made her feel like it was okay to talk to him. Isn't there something about Jesus I'm hoping you know this. I'm hoping you've experienced this. Isn't there something about Jesus that makes it okay to talk to him? Even in our scandal, even in our uncleanliness, that Jesus is inviting us into something. And Jesus invites her, and by extension, invites all Samaritans. That's what people think about this passage. This is part of the invitation to all Samaritans into true worship. And Jesus says, My worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. Those categories that you had for worship, you think you need to worship over here on this mountain. They think that you need to worship in Jerusalem. I'm telling you, it won't really be either of those. Those categories are done. It's actually now in spirit and in truth. I'm inviting you into the place of worship. And it doesn't matter if you're Jewish or Samaritan. I'm inviting you into the place of worship. Samaritans had been part of Israel, part of the people of God, and they had been severed historically for hundreds and hundreds of years and severed um, culturally and severed relationally and, se- and severed religiously. And they were kind of considered, you know, you know how you have sort of maybe sometimes enemies who aren't part of you, but then you've got people in your family who are like, you don't want anything to do with them, and that's like even harder. You know, you can't have that weird uncle over or whatever, you know, but like, you know, that part of the family we don't talk about, those are the Samaritans. They had been severed from the people of Israel. They were in conflict. And Jesus is inviting them back into worship. And later in in the book of Acts, we actually see the Samaritans coming to believe and being baptized. Jesus is inviting them to the table. 
But he's also inviting his disciples to follow him into difficult places. And the likelihood is that they weren't probably very happy about it. You know, when Jesus got to the bed going, we're about to walk into Samaria, they probably were going, hey, Jesus, this is the border. We probably shouldn't go in here. And he just keeps going. And then they get into the middle of Samaria, and he goes, now, I want you to go out and, and get some food. And that would have been, like, super unclean, because the market in Samaria would have food that they would consider to be really unclean. He's like, go get some food. And that would have been, okay, now we're, now we're super unclean. Jesus is inviting his disciples to be with him in difficult places. And in order to do this, in order to follow Jesus into these places, they would have to lay down their stuff. They would have to, as Jesus says, deny themselves and pick up their cross and follow him. If you want to be with me, he says, this is where I'm going. To Samaria. To the place that you think is unclean. If you want to receive my invitation you're going to go to some places that you don't think are very comfortable. And that's where you're going to find me. And I say this all the time to people coming into my neighborhood. People want to come and bring Jesus to the poor in my neighborhood. I said, okay, fine, that's all well and good. But actually, I wonder if you could come here and learn to find Jesus as he's already here. When we first came to the downtown east side, that was quite surprising to discover that Jesus was already present. It's actually kind of worrying as a missionary to find out that your job's already been done. Now what do we do? Well, go and find Jesus and love Jesus here. See, Jesus in this story and all throughout his story, he is reconnecting people to God. He is our peace with God, as it says in Ephesians 2, verse 13. It says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Jesus is inviting us to the table. And at Jacob's Well, we, we make that an emphasis. We say our prayer room is the central place. And when people come in, sometimes they'll come in off the street, sometimes they'll be tenting outside. We'll say, why don't you come in and spend some time in our prayer room? And sometimes people come in and they will fall asleep in our prayer room, and that is totally fine. And they know that they're in a place of peace and that Jesus is welcoming them there. And in our time of worship, Won't you come in and worship with us? Come and receive the invitation of God, and we will all receive it together. So that's primary. But the second bit is important, too, that we are invited to the common table. Where do you notice the invitation to neighbors to become friends with one another in this story? See, the disciples, when they come back after they've gone into the town, they have a really interesting response. They go, what is he doing why are you here with this woman? But it says, but they don't say anything. Like, they're too scared to say anything to Jesus about it. But they know it's not right. right? They're like, this is, this is really a scandal. Uh, you shouldn't be doing this. You shouldn't be sharing water with this woman, let alone anything else. What are you doing? And this is a big issue in the rest of the New Testament, certainly the rest of Acts and in Paul's letters, the notion of eating together. Everywhere Paul goes, he sets up a table and he says, okay, Jews, Gentiles, come together. You're going to eat together. And they're, you know, all kind of like, "Uh, should we do this? Is this right? Yeah, it is right. And then people would come along after Paul had left and go, no, no, he was wrong. You shouldn't eat together. And that was the major conflict in the church was, should we eat together or not? And I love that that after Jesus has this conversation with the Samaritan woman said, you are being invited in. And it's actually quite a scandalous conversation he has with her and and a confronting conversation with her. Like Jesus 
is sometimes described as pretty meek and mild and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, he brings up the thorniest issue in her life right away. <laughs> He's like, uh, go tell your husband. Well, I don't have a husband. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> you got a five. Like, this is the major issue in your life. I'm going to bring it up right away. You know those kind of people who are, like, they're so, they lack social etiquette. And they just bring up the stuff that, you oh, you shouldn't talk about that. Jesus talks about it right away. But she's not offended. That's amazing. She's not offended. The Pharisees got offended She's not offended. She receives it as truth. She receives it as this is something amazing. And so then she is the one who goes into town, this pariah, this person who is actually not maybe welcome in her town, and she goes and invites everyone. And again, when I, when I describe this, people go, well, how did she manage this? If people didn't really like her, how did she manage to convince everybody to come and see this guy? But evidently she's pretty persuasive, Right? And this seems really unlikely. This is the first person in the Gospel of John who is sent out as a missionary. And Jesus does this all the time. In different, in different uh, Gospels, it's somebody different. But, but he says, I'm going to send this person. In the Gospel of Mark, it's the guy uh, who's like, inhabited by unclean spirits, a legion of spirits. And he's, Jesus sends them out into the pigs, and the pigs go and die. And then that's the guy, the guy who was around the graves, and he was naked and cutting himself. And out of his mind, the naked pig guy, as our family calls him, this is the guy that Jesus goes, okay, you're going to be my missionary to the ten cities. That must have driven the disciples crazy. Because they're like, what do, we, what do we got to do to be allowed to go and tell? Because every time Jesus has a miracle, in the book of Mark especially, Jesus is like, don't tell anybody. Shh, don't tell anybody. All you'd want to do is tell everybody, right? They're not allowed to tell anybody. But Jesus does it to this guy, this incredible miracle, and he says, now go tell everybody. I'm like, what? He's your guy? And then the disciples coming back from the city, they missed the whole encounter. And, and they're like, she is your missionary? She's the one you've chosen? Yeah. She goes into town and she invites everyone. She is a Samaritan and she's not, a, she's not Jewish, she's not Christian, she's a Samaritan woman. And she is the missionary. And we have discovered this actually in our ministry as well. So that, that woman I was telling you about who was teaching us Arabic and working with us now, um, she, she invites all of her friends who she is connected with, most of whom are also refugees, also have come from Muslim backgrounds. And she goes, if you want to meet people who are going to help you and going to love you, go to Jacob's well. And she brings people. And, and one person who I was writing his story, he came and he, and he said he was talking to people and he was in a really desperate situation with his family in a part of the world where they were in danger and he was trying to get help for them. And he said, there's no one who will help. And he said, he talked to some people, and they said, well, you need to go to the church. They're the only people who will help you. He's Muslim. He said, but the only people who will help you are the church. And he met with this woman. She said, you need to go to Jacob's well, and they will help. And it just struck me so much that this is this story being lived out still today, 2,000 years later, that she is the most unlikely, unlikely missionary. But away she goes. And our Bible study has the same thing where we, we invite unlikely people. In our Bible study, the unlikely person who we've invited is a police officer. We, we do a, we do, the way we do it is we read some scripture and then we say, how do we apply this? How do we live this out? And uh, we, we looked at the story of Jesus and the lepers. And we say, who are the lepers in our community? And they said, well, it's not the homeless because we're all homeless. The person who's, it's not the drug addict because we're drug addicts. It's not, you know, it's not, that's not who it is. 
So who is the unwelcome? Who is the unclean? Who is the person who scares us in our community? Well, it's a police officer. So we invited our, one of our friends who is a police officer to come to our Bible study. But we said, you have to understand as you're coming, you're coming as the leper. And we want to bless you. And, and he came. And he was blessed. And he's continued coming to the Bible study. So we have just a whole bunch of people from my neighborhood and a police officer, and they love it when he comes, and he loves to come. This is the kind of thing that we're longing to see in our midst. And Jesus is busy reconnecting people one to another. Christ is our peace, and he tears down in his flesh the dividing walls of hostility. And I want to say this, and this is a a challenging word, and I understand it, but the people who you disagree with most in the body of Christ are the people who you should be most going out of your way to love and to serve. The people who you disagree with most in the body of Christ are exactly the people who you should be most going out of your way to love and to serve. Who is invited to your table and who isn't? That's the challenge. The third piece, and this is kind of where we'll end, is there are some things that are uninvited to the table. The word, the world especially in the Gospel of John, has a technical meaning. And it's not just the world around us. It's not just matter and, and so on. It, it's actually, it means um, the world gone wrong, the world organized without God, the world in rebellion to God, the powers and the principalities, which include human organizations and worldviews that have set themselves up against God. That is what the world means, the cosmos in the Gospel of John. And many people, maybe even some of us listening here today, when I say that, the worldview or the organizations against God, you will immediately start thinking about organizations and worldviews that you don't like, that you personally are against. And they may well be in in, in opposition to the things of God, but remember that the world will also include things that you are attached to, idols that you have. Any worldviews that you cling to that are in opposition to God. And specifically, and certainly in this story, things like fear and disgust and enmity and division and hatred. These things as identities, they are not welcome at the table of God because they can't be welcome at the table of God. The way that the disciples, and probably some of Jesus's, or John's first readers, sorry, the way that they thought about Samaritans as just unclean and forever unclean and forever excluded, that simply could not be invited to the table of Christian community. Those things had to be brought into the light of Christ and conquered. And Paul reserves some of his strongest words for this kind of division and exclusion. In Galatians 2, in Antioch, Paul has to rebuke Peter to his face in public because Peter had come to that place where they were all eating together and he had agreed with some others that the Jews should eat at this table and the the, um, Gentiles should eat at this other table. And Paul rebukes him to his face, which is a big deal in public. And he says, Peter, you are not in step with the truth of the gospel because you are eating in a separate way. This separation is not welcome at the table. In Paul's instructions to the Corinthians, in the Lord's Supper, we often read those passages, but we don't read this quote too much, um, which is a rebuke. It's a correction. He says, I have no praise for you in this matter because of your, your greed, your exclusion, your separation. Paul is saying that this exclusion and this division was fundamentally opposed to their identity as Christ followers. In the same way that Jesus says that unforgiveness is fundamentally in conflict 
with your identity as forgiven Christ followers. You cannot bring that to the table because it makes no sense. It is in opposition to who you are. Friends, Christ is our peace between us and God. And most of us will say yes and amen to this. We were made to be in union with God. But this has to lead us to the understanding that Christ is our peace one to another. It has to. This is the week of prayer for Christian unity. I don't know if you know that. It's been going on for many years. Started with a number of churches in the Middle East. And we've been really doing this in Canada throughout this past uh, week. And a lot of us will think this is the most divided time in Christian history, right? A lot of us will be experiencing that in really fresh and wounded ways now. Here's the bad news. Christians have been divided a lot and long before this. This is just a new form of it. Maybe this season that we're in right now is highlighting how easily we have allowed the things of the world to divide us and to cause us to look at one another in judgment, in self-righteousness, in hatred. We don't have to agree, but we do have to love. Don't have to agree. You can disagree. You can have debate. It's fine. But you have to love. It doesn't make any sense. We cannot call ourselves followers of Jesus if we refuse to love our brothers and sisters. We cannot do it. It does not make sense. That is not welcome at the table. It can't be. It's not God being mean. He's just saying that doesn't fit here. It doesn't work. So let's be very, very careful about the worldviews and attitudes that we are trying to bring to our tables because Christ does judge the world in righteousness. He judges the powers and the principalities. He judges the worldviews that cause exclusion, exclusion and prejudice and hatred. He does judge those things. And if we are attached to those things, that could be worrying. I just want to challenge you, and I'll finish with this. What is the invitation that you need to consider and maybe act on this week? Is it receiving God's invitation? that He is welcoming you in spirit and in truth into himself? If that's you, then that's a beautiful invitation to receive. And that is the most important and the primary one for us to receive. It should lead us to the second one, extending the invitation to another. To receive and to give that blessing of being friends and neighbors. Or is it about disinviting something that is in conflict with your identity as a child of God? Can I pray with you now? Father, I thank you that you have invited us, and you have invited us into something good. You invited us into someone good. You've invited us by your son, Jesus, into your very life, empowered by your spirit, to be one with one another as you are one with your father, Jesus. You are in us. We are in you. We are to be one. And and Lord, we are so thankful for that and we are so thankful for we have seen evidence of that in the world, but we also are very aware in this world that we don't look like one. 
that we have all kinds of places where we think that's unclean and we must not go. Those people are unclean and they are not welcome. Please move us with you. Help us to follow you into those places in righteousness, in spirit and in truth, worshiping you at the well with the Samaritan woman. And I pray that you would also show us the dividing line in our own hearts. Those judgments that we are holding against our brothers and sisters. That unforgiveness. That self-righteousness. That exclusion. Please show us, God. Please help us to lay those things down so we can actually follow you into the fullness of your invitation, which is beautiful and good. I pray that we'd all know the blessing of your table and the blessing of one another's table. We ask this in your name, Jesus, by the power of your Holy Spirit, giving thanks to you, Father. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this message helps guide you on your spiritual journey of discovering the life and message of Jesus. We update this podcast weekly, so why not hit subscribe and journey with us? Who are we? Westside Gathering is a local church in the West Island of Montreal. We're a simple community of faith where we want you to feel welcome, even if you're not into church or religion. We meet every Sunday, but you can also find smaller groups, environments, and resources for all ages between Sundays. Find out more at westsidegathering.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Vimeo. We'd love to hear from you. Ask a question, ask for help, or let us know how we can pray for you. If you'd like to contribute financially, just go to westsidegathering.com forward slash giving. Until next time, peace.